Well, we praise God for the uh, time uh, that uh, Don and I have uh, remaining uh, going into the end of March to uh, be the pastor of this church. It's a different position than, uh, than I've ever experienced before of uh, learning instead of being a leader to be a manager, uh, to maintain until, until we leave and pass the baton on to the next pastor that God will surely raise up and has already has his hand on. And I'm encouraging you again to be in prayer for your leaders, for the deacons. They're doing an incredible job of stewardship, and uh, they are doing due diligence uh, even now in preparation for uh, seeking the will of God for uh, the, re the uh, transition. And so if you could encourage them. Uh, another thing I'd like to encourage you to do is uh, about three years ago, I think it was, in a business meeting, we had a discussion on the floor uh, at that time about uh, closing down our Sunday school because of lack of interest in attendance. And uh, uh, several people got up and spoke and encouraged that we continue that. And uh, we still are having difficulty uh, and uh, with attendance. And if you uh, are not attending Sunday school and participating and plugging in, and enjoying the incredible teaching of Pastor Dennis Schmidt. He's in the adult class and doing an incredible job. He's an incredible, gifted teacher. Uh, we have uh, classes for uh, other ages, the ages uh, that are here, the younger ones. And if you're not plugging in, you are voting to shut it down. Uh, many churches across America, uh, not just AG churches, but other churches as well, have discontinued that because of lack of interest. And I'm just telling you... Um, you know, uh, I'm not going to do it while I'm here, but somebody's going to have to stop beating a dead horse. So does that make sense to you? If you want something to continue, you have to support it. Does, I'm talking to you. Does that make sense? I'm doing the next pastor a favor by telling you this, okay? Because he's going to be the bad guy and going to come in and have to shut it down if you don't support it. So I'm encouraging you to support the ministries of the church. They're good, they're powerful, they're disciple-making, they're community-building, uh, same way with small groups. Um, I'd like to encourage you also that if you have not, I encourage you to do this. There's probably been only a couple times in my ministry here that I've encouraged people to go to the movie theater and see a movie. This one is well worth seeing. In fact, um, you'll probably cry through parts of it and have goosebumps the rest of it. Uh, but it's called Jesus Revolution. It's at the Phoenix. The showings today are 4.30 and 8.00. I think at 1232, but if you get out of here in that time, you can go then. But it is a powerful, accurate, it's an accurate biographical drama of the Jesus Revolution of the late 60s and into the middle 70s. And I lived through that, uh, not in California, but I lived through it in Kansas City and saw the, the power of God uh, just move through the entire country and through the world, transforming lives and changing the direction of people's lives and it's and and the nation as well. It's an incredible um, true story, and uh, I would encourage you to see it. It's well worth seeing. So, anyway, well today I want to talk to you about a subject about called "Who Am I?" And uh, <clears throat> well, speaking of back in those days, uh, the hippies were like, "I'm out trying to find myself." You know, that was a hippie ge uh, generation revival. And uh, who am I? You know, so many people struggle with that, and, and you could uh, have a number of different aspects of that question. Um, somebody asking it could be asking something totally different to someone else. It's like, who am I? Somebody with amnesia doesn't know who they are. 
uh, somebody who is ignorant of who they are in their faith uh, could be having an identity crisis, wondering who I am. But once you study the Word, you find out who you are in Christ. Sometimes even when we're in Christ and we get saved, we wonder, who am I to be able to be able to do that? Sometimes low self-worth will tell us, who am I to be able to accomplish that? Um, so I want to talk about that subject today. And uh, because it is common to have feelings and thoughts of uh, inferiority, insecurity, low self-worth, and while we feel plain and ordinary sometimes in our own estimation, and even in the eyes of others, we look plain and ordinary. There's nothing uh, exemplary about us, either our looks, we can just look normal like anybody else. Um, average intelligence, average abilities, or low abilities. Uh, but so many Christians uh, who are filled with the Holy Spirit uh, of the living God are, are, are really, we are what? We are ordinary vessels of the common variety that we are created by God, made in His image. We were formed in the womb, as the book of uh, Jeremiah tells us. But uh, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we be, go beyond being ordinary and plain and common because we become vessels when touched and cleansed to be used of God, to be filled with His Spirit. We who are ordinary and plain are made extraordinary by the same Jesus who turned ordinary water into wine, of the finest wine ever tasted, in fact. We become a refreshing drink of joy to those around us when God uses us in the way that He wants to use us. Will you say amen to that? And I can tell you right now, uh, spoiler alert, God wants to use you. And I don't care who you are, it doesn't really matter what your background is, what your history is. It doesn't matter uh, who your family is. It doesn't matter how many times you have failed or sinned or the depth of sin that you were mired in. Once you are cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ when you believe on Him, the Spirit of Christ enters into your life and you are born again and you are a new creature. God wants to use you to make a difference in someone else's life. And it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself or how other people view you. So as a person thinks in their heart, so are they, the Word of God tells us. We need to start thinking of ourselves the way God thinks of us. And the only way that you can do that is to have your mind cleansed by the washing of the water of the Word, and you begin to change the way that you think and begin to think of yourself the way the Word of God describes you in God's eyes. Does that make sense? I, I know that's a revelation to some people, but I'm telling you, God not only loves you, but God sees great potential in you. Great potential in you. Somebody might say, well, I'm old. You know, what can I do? You know, until you stop breathing, God has a purpose for your life. Don't you ever forget that. Don't you let the devil rob you of serving God in your golden years right before you go to heaven. Die with your boots on like an old cowboy. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we can fall into seasons, and I say seasons because the seasons should come and go because there are seasons in our life. Sometimes when we're sad and sometimes even have dark thoughts of low self-worth, which really fly in the face 
of the truth of Scripture, of what the Word of God says about us. And God's Word is truth. God's Word is truth. It is the absolute truth. And so when we fall into that category, we need to get back into the Word and start thinking differently. All of us are valuable to God and useful for whatever He calls us to do, despite our lack of ability, skills, education, who he calls, he equips. When he calls you to do something, he will equip you to be able to do that. Now that will require some elbow grease on your part that you need to get busy and you need to start working on yourself and studying and preparing yourself to do the work that God has called you. But God will equip you by his Holy Spirit, by his anointing. I used to be a worship leader, and I still have this principle throughout my life of everything, is when we do our best to achieve the purposes God has called us to do, listen to me, we are always going to fall short because we are imperfect. And some people strive, and they have this gift, they can do excellent things. But I mean to tell you, our best... When we do our best, God bridges the gap between our best and excellence. That he carries us beyond what we can do in our own strength, beyond what we can do with our own giftedness and talent, and he bridges the gap between that until we get to the other side where there's excellence. Somebody say amen. This is what God does for us when we do our best. And, uh, you know, the scripture that came to mind when I was pondering this subject was John chapter 2, and it's not our text today, but it's the illustration, is the first miracle that Jesus ever did in his public ministry was at a wedding feast in Cana. In fact, his mother was there. She must have known uh, the the, uh, family that was having the feast of who was getting married in that family, and so she was there helping to serve. Apparently, this family must have been a family that didn't have a lot of uh, resources or uh, means, Uh, and so uh, they ran out of wine during the ceremony. And I'm not here to talk about whether you should drink wine or not drink wine. The Assemblies of God have been historically teetotalers that we believe that uh, we should not cross that line and partake of alcoholic beverages uh, because of the connotations that it has in this nation. Uh, But I'm not here to debate that today. But Mother Mary came to him, the Virgin Mary, who gave him birth, as well as his uh, sisters and brothers. Mary called Jesus and said, hey, we got a problem here, Jesus. Fix the problem, basically what she was telling him. Has your mother ever tell you to fix a problem? You know, it's hard to tell your mother no. When your mother, when my mother's alive, she'd say, you know, I, you know, I have this problem. And it's like, okay, mom, I'll fix it. You know, I'll take care of it. You know, my brother was that way as well. My sisters, you know, always tried to fix mom's problems because we loved her. Well, Jesus loved his mother. Uh, and the problem was uh, they ran out of wine and Jesus told her, he says, you know, woman, you ever call your mother woman? Hey, woman. I don't recommend it, but <laughs> uh, my, uh, listen, uh, but he said, my time has not yet come. In other words, you know, you're wanting to launch my public ministry because you remember when Jesus was born and all those things that were said about him, remember what Mary did? She pondered them in her heart. You know, what she didn't understand, she, she just put on the back burner in her heart. And you know what that means? I think every now and then she'd pull it from the back burner, pull it to the front, stir it up a little bit, taste it, 
push it back there because she didn't fully understand or grasp exactly what God had in mind for this son that was born inside of her womb that was planted there by the Holy Ghost. And Jesus said, my time's not yet come. And what does, what does mother do? She turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. And she walks out. You know, I kind of put that as a way. as like, woman, my time hasn't come yet. Whatever. Do what he tells you. <laughs> and, and in her mind, listen, the problem is solved. Hey, what kind of problems do you have today? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And then say whatever. Because it's solved. Listen, Jesus immediately says, here's what he did. You know? And here's the wonderful thing. The things that Jesus uses are just common, ordinary tools. Every, you know, everyday stuff. And Jesus uses everyday people to accomplish extraordinary things that we can't do. <laughs> Think... Sometimes I've had like an out-of-body experience and I see what God has done and I say, how did that happen? It's because he's extraordinary, okay? And he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things and he gets the glory for it. So I, I think just like Moses, we talked about this in the past, uh, uh, Moses shepherd uh, was a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep and he's, he has a shepherd's staff. And God said, what's that in your hand? You remember that? He said, well, it's my staff. Throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground as something extraordinary happened. He says, now pick it up. So he reached down, picks it up, turns back into a staff from a snake. And now it's not called the shepherd's staff anymore. It's called the rod of God. It was an ordinary shepherd's staff. And, you know, what, what happened with that? You know, God used it in the hand of an ordinary guy who didn't want to do and didn't feel worthy when God called him, he said, who am I? Why would they listen to me? Who am I? See, I stutter. You want me to be your spokesman like a prophet? I stutter. I can't, you know, I don't know how bad Moses' stuttering was, but God calls people that are weak to accomplish extraordinary things when he adds his strength to their weakness. And suddenly Moses' rod, is a sta his staff is, becomes the rod of God. And God says, you know, when they're backed up against the sea and the Egyptians are coming on chariots and they're going to annihilate them and they're backed up against the sea, and God says, well, stop worrying about it. Just raise your hand up. Lift the staff up. And you know what happened? That ordinary rod, there's no magic in that like we said last week, but the sea parted, and the Israelites crossed over on dry ground, and when, the, and when the Egyptians followed, they were buried in the sea. I'm just saying, God uses ordinary to do extraordinary. And what did he use there? He used, you know, what, the, what do you tell the servants? Uh, um, get six stone pots, those stick, and they, and they held up 30 gallons each, and they were just common everyday pots. Okay, they weren't pots that were used in the house for, uh, for special things. They were just pots. And so he brings this, they bring the stone pots, and he says, now fill the pots with water. What kind of water? Ordinary water. Okay, ordinary water. Just plain water. 
And then when they reached in, dip it out, go ahead and dip it out, Jesus said, and give it to the people. And, and when they dipped into that stone pot, the water, which was ordinary, was suddenly extraordinary wine. Dipped it out. And, and people came to the host of the feast and said, hey, you're, you're doing things backwards here. Yeah, you know, normally when, when there's a feast like this is you put out the good wine first and then when everybody's getting a little tipsy, now some of you have trouble with that, but that's really what it means, then you bring out the, the cheap wine, the ripple, That's lost on a lot of you, but in my day, in my BC days, when I was a teenager, when I go out and get drunk, you could get a cheap bottle of Ripple wine and get drunk. Then you bring out the, and it was cheap, and you bring out the Ripple, and then people don't even realize it's bad wine, but you brought out the best. Last. Never tasted anything like this before. You know, God uses ordinary to amaze people who can't imagine you being able to do that. Amen. It was the finest quality wine that anybody had ever tasted, and it was all because God likes to use the things that we call common and ordinary and turns them into extraordinary. Now, maybe you have low expectations about your worthiness or abilities. And maybe to serve in ministries in the church, I could never do that, I can't do that, or to do anything in the Lord's work. But be assured, rest assured, that God is a God who delights in raising up the unlikely to show his power and glory to the wise and the strong and raise up your expectations of yourself, of who you are. Be amazed at that. Listen, I'm amazed even to this day, every day, that God called me into the ministry. Because, man, I'll tell you, unlikely. In fact, you know, some of my friends from way back when, when I was first a young Christian, um, are amazed. They didn't think God would use me. Now, they loved me. They were nice, but they didn't know. Oh, you're called to ministry? Uh, can I tell you, you know, one, one lady, very unkind, um, and, and I don't know what her intentions were, but she told Donna, uh, Donna, your husband's going to be a pastor. You, you're, just, you're just not pastor's wife material. Well, you know what? She's the best pastor's wife anybody could have. Because God equips who he calls. And I'm going to tell you, don't ever rain on somebody's parade. You know, God's having a parade celebrating you. Don't let anybody rain on your parade. Don't let wet blankets and judgmental, pharisaic people tell you that you're unworthy and you can't do something that God calls you to do. You have a dream that God has placed in your heart God wants you to let that, that seed germinate. He wants you to water it. He wants you to fertilize it. He wants you to hoe it and weed it, which I don't like hoeing and weeding. I hate yard work. But I get, you know, you want to get the best quality harvest, then you got to do it. And that's where you come in. See? Somebody say amen. 
So if we're going to be used of God, first of all, we have to, and I've got three points here, we need to remember who we are. Okay? Remember who we are. Because I'll tell you, when God reminded me I had a call to ministry after I'd been backslidden, I was shocked. Here I was, I had a family, had uh, three children at that time, and later had five during our attempt to plant a church. And it was like, you mean, God, you still want to use me? I was just shocked. And, and when I told people about it, they were shocked. Now, some people just spoke with their, you know, picture paints a thousand words. Your face paints a thousand words. It's like they were like, oh, sure, and probably walking away go, oh. <laughs> But it's amazing what God will do. It's amazing who God will use. And, and people, you know, with, you look at it and think, well, God can't use that person. God can use that person. It's not up to us. It's up to God. And, and if we're going to be used of God, we need to remember who we are. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Paul said, remember, and whenever the Scriptures tell you to remember, it's something you really already know, but you need to be reminded because we tend to forget what we should remember. You've heard me say that many times. Maybe that irritates some of you, but we need to be reminded of that truth, of that principle. And Paul says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. In other words, what Paul was saying is that when God called you to salvation and then to serve in ministries in the church is is that you weren't that bright. Okay? You weren't that special. You know what makes you special? It's the Holy Ghost that comes inside of you that stirs the pot and sweetens what's inside of you and perfects you and changes you, transforms you by the washing of the water of His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit. That's what makes you qualified. It's not you. I remember a superintendent, a church I pastored in North Dakota, and there was a church boss that just... It was difficult. And, and my superintendent went out to his ranch and talked to him, and he said, you know what? You have so many talents that you don't need God. That was true. I thought, boy, that was a word of the Lord. And he said, you know, you can't be a leader until you learn to be a follower. You know, you disagree. You know people disagree with leaders. You know, that's That's okay. But when God ordains the leaders, you better learn to follow. Or you, you disqualify yourself, yourself from being a leader by your actions. And Paul said you know, to these Corinthians, he said, hey, few of you were wise. There's a few of you who have pretty sharp, okay, but not very many of you. And, and in the world's eyes, you were not powerful or, and you weren't wealthy. You didn't have resources. But guess what? God called you. The p- fact is, he says, you were called. You know, there's a problem with people who, who say, sure, it's a good thing God called me because I don't know what he would do without me. Because <laughs> I'm making a difference, and I do this, and I do that. You know, get over yourself and give the glory to God. And there's not been a day in my life in ministry that I haven't, and this is the honest truth, God is my witness, amazed amazed 
that God called me. Like, I wouldn't have called me if I was God. But I'm not God. Thank God I'm not God, because I wouldn't have called some of you either. But that's, that's us. But it's powerful when you think about it. Listen, I, I'm going to give you 11 scriptural decor, declarations, and this isn't on the slide up here, so you just have to follow me. It's, uh, uh, Colossians 2.10 says, I am, say I am. I am complete in him who is the head over all rule and authority of every angelic and earthly power. Ephesians 2.5, I am, say I am, alive with Christ. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins and he made you alive. John 5, 1 John 5.18 says, I am born of God and the evil one does not touch me. We had a prophecy this morning about that, didn't we? He's defeated. Laugh at him. <laughs> Ephesians 1.4 and 1 Peter 1.16 say that I am holy and without blame before him in love. That I am without blame. And I got a lot to be blamed for. But God says no because of the blood of Jesus. You're holy and you're without blame. God is a God who calls those things that are not as though they already were. 1 Peter 2.9, I am chosen by God. Say that with me. I am chosen by God who called me out of the darkness of sin and into the light and life of Christ so that I can proclaim the excellence and the greatness of who he is. Somebody says, Pastor, what am I supposed to do? That's exactly what you do when you've been born again, when you've been brought out of darkness into light. Proclaim the excellence and the greatness of who he is. 1 Peter 1.23, I am born again, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for God's purposes through the living and everlasting word of God. Ephesians 2.10, I am God's workmanship. I, I tell you, sometimes people think that you're their workmanship. Some people think I'm their workmanship. You've got to fix the pastor. But I am God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Now, do we have to listen to to people who try to help us? Absolutely, because sometimes, listen, sometimes God is speaking a word through people to us. And sometimes you want to kill the prophet. Israel killed the prophets. They didn't like what they said. You know, one, King Ahab said, you know, I don't like that prophet because he, he never has anything good to say about me. Second Corinthians 5:17, I am a new creation in Christ. Romans 8:17, I am a joint heir with Christ. Romans 8:37, I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Second Corinthians 5:21, I am the righteousness of God. I have the right standing with him in Jesus Christ. Now those are some just a few declarations of who God says we are. If you struggle with self-worth before the Lord, get into the Word of God and find out who you are in the eyes of God. And you'll change your life. 
So if we're going to ever be used of God, we have to first remember who we are according to his report. And secondly, we need to believe the message of the cross. Not only believe it, but live it. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God demonstrated in action. It took the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second of the Trinity, to die a bloody death on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. It took his burial, three days, three nights in the tomb, and the third day rose from the grave, and we are justified because of that resurrection. It is by the power of the gospel, the power of his cross, the power of that message that we are born again, that we are delivered. And the message of the cross is that the Son of God was crucified to atone for the sins of all mankind who would believe upon him and secure pardon and salvation for all who would believe in him. It is this message that is considered foolishness, folly by those who are perishing, but those who disbelieve God's sentence of death on humanity and prefer human ideas over God's truth. The message of the cross is divinely inspired, holy, and eternal. It is the power of God demonstrated for you and for me and for the world. It is the love of God come into the world through the Son of God to destroy the works of the devil. The message of the cross is the wisdom, the Word of God says, and the power of God to keep the promise of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever would believe in Him might not perish but have everlasting life. It gives eternal life, those who believe in the Son. It is also the grace of God, rendering to the believer the gifts of repentance, justification, and sanctification, all of which find their meaning in in, in Christ crucified. There's only one name, the Word of God tells us in Acts 4.12. There's only one way, one name, whereby that we can be saved, and that's through the name of Jesus Christ. There are not many ways to God. It's only through the cross. And the cross is offensive to people. In fact, uh, Scripture says that cursed is anyone who dies on a cross, who hangs on a cross. That's a sign of a curse. But Christ became a curse so that we could be blessed. The power of the cross is incredible. Did you say amen? It's incredible. Don't ever... Let it become common to you, the power and the atonement of his blood that was shed for you. Wasn't that in one of our prophetic words today? The power of his blood has not lost its power. Amen? So if you're going to be used of God, you have to remember who we are, and we have to believe the message of the cross and live it. And thirdly, my last point is this, is that who does God choose? Well, we've already talked about how God chooses us. He chooses whoever chooses Him. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 says, God's, Paul says that instead God chose not the great things, the sharp things, but God chose the things that the world considers foolish. Why? Why did He do that? In order to shame those who think that they are wise. He chose the things that are powerless to shame 
those who are powerful. Uh, I, I remember uh, a couple years back, there was uh, a pastor leading a, a parachurch ministry and, you know, they're having battles with the city council and the people of the community who didn't like their ministry and one of the sharp people, well-educated people on the council came up and asked him, um, uh, do you even have a degree? He said, I have several degrees. Would you like to see my diplomas? But that's not what qualifies me for this ministry. God called me to this ministry. I got more degrees than you, I'll bet. But even if I didn't, God called me to this. See, that's got your head on straight when you can think like that. And what does it say there in verse 28? Verse 27, God chose. Verse 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one, say no one, no one can ever boast in the presence of God because he did it all. He did it all. A few things God has chosen, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, God chose Israel. Out of all the peoples on the earth, God chose Abraham and said, go to a place, leave your family, your home, go to a place that I will show you and I will give it to you as an inheritance forever. Now, Hebrews tells us that it was imputed to Abraham righteousness because why? Because he obeyed God. He believed and he obeyed. He packed his stuff up and went on. And God showed him. And so from Abraham, from the seed of Abraham, uh, comes Israel. That's where Israel came from, if you're ignorant of that. Uh, by the way, I support Israel. They're still God's covenant people. And that nation, God has not done with them yet. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and be loyal to God's covenant people. Uh, uh, verse 6, six through 8 says this, For you are a holy people. Says this to Israel. You are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Now, I tell you that, according to Paul in Romans, that we Gentiles are grafted in. Like you'd graft in a branch to, a, to another tree and, and you wrap it up and, and eventually the sap comes in and brings life to that branch. We are the branch that was grafted in to the covenants and the promises of God to Israel. We're the wild olive branch that was, that, was, that, was, that was grafted in. Aren't you? Does that make you excited? We were, once, we were once, according to Ephesians, to the Gentiles, you were once not a people. You were far off. Okay? You were, you were cut off from the promises and covenants of God. But God brought you near by the blood of His Son. And we are the people of God, the covenant people of God. And it says here, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used God used them to bring nothing of what the world considers important, but as a result, we can't boast in that. And God chose Israel, and God chose us. You know, every time I read this, I think, you know, I'm grafted in, so this, this is what God is saying to me. 
And verse 7 says, the Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than all the other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. But rather, it was simply, say simply, most things from the scriptures are simple. We make them complicated because they sound too good to be true. Simply that the Lord loves you. Why did God save me? Just, he, just, he just loved me. Why did God love me? I don't know. I remember when I, was, when I was really young in the Lord before I was married, I was sitting on my parents' couch. It was right after I was reclaimed, came back to the Lord. And I'm sitting on the couch, laying there. Nobody was home. And I'm sitting there in this blue uh, mood, you know, kind of, ever been that way? Just kind of down, depressed. The curtains were pulled. It was dark in the living room. And I'm just thinking, why would, God, why do you even love me? Why? You can't love me. But I know in here, I know you do. Why? I spent a couple hours sitting there like that. And all of a sudden, it was just like, I don't understand it, but I know he does. And I got up and walked away. <laughs> like, I didn't get my answer. It's just that he simply, he chose to love us. And he's keeping his oath that he has sworn to your ancestors that why the Lord, why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and oppressive hand of Pharaoh the king. I was rescued. You were rescued from the strong hand and the oppression uh, in slavery to the enemy and to his camp. And he set us free because he loved us. Why did he love us? I don't know. I don't know. He just chose to do it. He chose Moses, who was a murderer, a stutterer, and a reject from his own people, mocked by Pharaoh. Uh, God chose Gideon in the Bible, if you know that, in the book of Judges, who was cowering in the wine press, hiding the little bit of grain from the enemy so he could have a little bit because the enemy would come in and steal everything and they would starve. The angel of the Lord appeared before Gideon, and he stands there and he says, Oh, mighty man of valor. Gideon's like, I thought I was in here alone. God called him, the most unlikely person to be called. And God used him and a handful of Israelites who were brave to deliver the people of Israel from their enemies. Okay, here's another one. God chose Deborah. Who was Deborah? She, she was the only female judge in the book of Judges. And there's people today still who say, God can't use women in ministry. I, I tell you, they're wrong. God calls. We don't call. So he says, well, I don't think God does that. There was a guy who listened to Joyce Myers on the radio for years and thought, that is the best Bible teacher I've ever heard. And he went to one of her conferences live because he wanted to be in that conference. And he went up to her and he said, you know what? The only reason I ever listened to you was because I thought you were a man. Now, Joyce Myers has a gruff, male-sounding voice. And he says, he says what are you going to do now? Because he, he didn't believe people, God could use women. He said, well, I'm already in it this far. <laughs> you know? It amazes some people who God uses. But he used Deborah. And it's like, why did God use Deborah? Well, I think one thing, there wasn't a man who was courageous enough to do the job. And she got up and did the job. God used her and delivered Israel from their enemies. God chose David 
to be the king. He was the least of his families, and he was out in the, in the, in the hills watching his father's sheep doing the grunt work. He had older brothers, many older brothers that were tall and handsome and strong, and, and the prophet, when he came to anoint him to each one, he said, surely this is the one. Surely this God says, no, I'm a God who looks to the heart. You look to the outer appearance. God chose the little shepherd boy and anointed him to be king. And he said, he's a man after my own heart. And you know what I'm going to close with here? The worship team's coming back. God chose you. God chose, I want you everybody to hear this today. God chose to set his love upon you. To you. I don't care what you've done. God doesn't see who you are. He sees beyond the cross of who you will become. Okay? He sees beyond who you are, and he sees a new creation that he will mold and shape by the power of his word and the spirit of God and the mentorship and the impartation from godly people that he will bring around you. God sees you for who you will become, not who you are. He sees you through the lens of the blood of his son. So he finds no fault in you. God chose to set his love upon you. God chose to redeem you, which literally means he wants to buy you off the slave market of sin and rescue you. God has chosen to give you his favor and his blessing. And God chose to use you for ministry that will make a difference in someone else's life. God never called you to be a pew-sitter, to be a spectator. He called you to get out into the, into the game, to do your part, to make a difference in spreading the gospel. I'm going to close with 1 Peter 2.9. You take this personally. Go back and read this and personalize it and put I where you are. But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Some of you don't take this as an insult. You're a peculiar person. That simply means you're unique. That you should do what? Show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Open your mouth and say so. That's what ministry is. It's you learning what God is saying and opening your mouth and sharing with others. John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and I've ordained you. That you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, he, he will give it to you. Pastor Lazarus uh, Muoka said this, the call to, be a, to, the call to be a chosen of God and to bear fruit is a call to be born again Christian, a call to soul winning. If you're not winning souls for Christ, Wherever you are, in whatever position God has placed you, you are not meeting the demand by which you were chosen. Therefore, you're not a chosen. In other words, the gospel, once we have partaken of it and tasted it and found that God is good, it ought to be like fire shut up in your bones 
that if you don't speak, it's feel like you're going to be burning alive. You've got to get it out. And share what God has done for you. Freely you have received, freely give. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his hand, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I want to ask you, closing, are you living an extraordinary life? Or just passe, boring? Are you living a life to the full that Jesus said we should live? And last question, isn't it time to live the life God intended for you to live? The life that he sent Christ to redeem you from your worthless life to an extraordinary life. Isn't it time that you plugged in? Isn't it time you got to work? Isn't it time you got off the pew and got into the action? Got off the grandstand, get into the game. Not everybody's a quarterback. Not everybody is, is a famous running back, but everybody plays a part. Amen? Let's close our eyes in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the power of the cross, for the power of transformed lives, for the power and the amazement of your incredible, <clears throat> amazing grace <clears throat> to not only save us, but to call us and to use us and to receive glory from our life. What an honor that is, God. And we worship you and praise you for it, Lord. And so now, Lord God, speak to your people today. Speak to them, Lord, and remind them of the things they already know, but call them into action. Call them to plug in. Call them to serve. Call them to be a blessing. And Father, give you the glory for all that's done and said. In Jesus' name, amen.